0: word of God reads this way. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God for his word. You may be seated. As you'd be seated, if you can help me announce this title to your neighbors, tell them, I am with you. Amen. We're going to try to deal with the subject matter, I am with you. Jesus gives the instruction and says at the end of his instruction, I am with you, even into the end of the age. We all might be familiar in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 4th chapter, verses 9 through 12, it says two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is no, there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. Accord of three stands, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Or in Amos third chapter, verse three, it says, can two walk together except they be agreed? What I'm trying to point out that it's good to have company. Jesus instructed them that you won't be alone. I will be with you. In other words, Jesus, I will be your company. It's good to realize that in times of troubles, in times of stress, in times of persecution, that you're not alone. From that, we see maybe oftentimes jokingly someone in a, in a jail cell saying, nobody knows. <laughs> the troubles I see, nobody knows my. So it's a sense of feeling alone and feeling depressed and feeling by themselves that they feel that, that nobody knows what I'm going through. But yet Jesus is letting his disciples know, letting them know that I am going to ascend to the heaven, but God has given me authority, and I'm letting you know that you will not be alone. What I want to highlight on this that why we need to know that he is with us, because it should encourage us that we should go out and make disciples knowing that God is with us. And if God is with us, there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing to be timid about. There's nothing to worry about knowing that if he's there, he's going to work it out. Because what I want to get to in this text, but I want to think about some people are caught up not making disciples because they're scared they're going to mess it up. And you're right. You might mess it up. But look, if you go out and do what he asks you to do, he can clean it up. He says, "I will be with you always, which means if he is a part of the process, he can fix the process that 's the beautiful thing of allowing Jesus to be our leader that when we 're following him, he can work things out. Let me get to the text before I do. Let me give you example how he can work things out because even his disciples messed up, but he was able to fix it when they messed up. He was on the mountain. Peter, James, and John were on the mountain, transfiguration, to see Christ change. But look what happens. In the transfiguration, they were in awe. They said, let us stay up here. He said, but we got to go down, because he had to go down, because somebody had a son who was possessed by demons. The disciples didn't know what to do. They messed up. But Jesus was there to clean it up. There's many examples of that. They wanted to come to him. Jesus, The disciples says, no, no, don't come to Jesus. Jesus says, don't, don't, don't push the children away. Let them come. He cleaned it up. What I'm trying to point out to us, that there's no reason for us to be as scared of making disciples. We need to go forth boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to go forth, as Romans 1.16 and say, be not ashamed of the gospel. Why should we not be ashamed of the gospel? First and foremost, Jesus points out, I have all authority. The authority not just in heaven, but also on earth. We are familiar in Jesus Christ knowing that he's fully man and fully God, that he walked on this earth. But even when he was on this earth, he showed his humility by not him being the celestial, overwhelming being God, but he humbled himself, but yet he still had authority on earth. We find that in Matthew 9, chapter, verse 6, when they looked at him, he told a man who was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. They looked at this man and say, who has authority but God to forgive sins? Because they understood that only one person could forgive sins. That's why we have to make these sacrifices. That's why we have to go to the temple. That's why we have to do all these things in order to appease our God so that he might forgive our sins. What I like about this text, that Jesus looks at them, looks at the crowd, says, so that you will know that I have authority to forgive sins, he tells the man to pick up his mat. Now, this is mind-blowing, if you're not familiar with the text. What does him picking up the mat have to do with anything with forgiving sins? Well, they could not see the internal transformation that God has given him, but they could see the external transformation. He says, not only can I forgive sins, but look, I can heal the body. I have all authority. Hallelujah. And he showed them this right there while he was still in the mortal body. We saw the same authority over earth when he was walking on water. We saw that same authority when he told to the wind and the waves to be still. But now we see that he has superseded this authority. As the Philippians write second chapter, verse nine says, therefore, God has given him the name that's above everything. He has highly exalted him. Now that he died, rose again from the grave in a resurrected, glorious body. He not only just has authority on the earth, but also in heaven, that everything has to be obedient to his name. So you see, that's why there's power in his name. Can I help you to understand the power of his name? Think about when people come, they say, I come in the name of the king. Which means that I am coming by delegation, by authority, deputized, and commission that my word represents the king. My word represents the king. Can I encourage you that you should be able to stand up and say, I come in the name of the king. That our words should represent the king. You know the king I'm talking about. The the king not spelled with a little K. I'm talking about a capital K king. The king of kings. The lord of lords. The host of hosts. He is in charge of everything. So when we stand up and proclaim his truth. It's amazing how people just got to obey. So he has all authority. And look how it shifts. He, he opens up to them and just says, I have all authority. But you notice in the text, right, that there's only 11. You know, you know there's only 11 because one was the betrayer and he's gone, he's dead, he's, he, he's, he's, he's nowhere in the picture. But yet the 11 have mixed emotions for they doubted when they saw him. Some believed, some doubted. But the problem is that some of them are still in shock and amazement of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The angels told the women to say, go tell the disciples to go meet me in Galilee. Jesus told the women to go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. It's amazing that he had to tell the women to go tell the disciples to go meet him in Galilee, which Jesus has already told them before he died. I'm going to rise again and I'll meet you in Galilee. It's to point out that Jesus, I've already have the plans. I've already have the destination. I've already have it worked out. How I am going to use it? Can I help somebody out? He has all authority, which means he also knows what's happening in your life. And he has the power to bring influences and orchestrate and work it out that where he wants you to be, you will be there. There were hiding in a room when he died, but he let them know, I still will meet you in Galilee. They had no clue. They didn't understand how I'm going to meet him in Galilee. So he had to show up and introduce himself again in Jerusalem, not once but twice because Thomas wasn't there the first time. He had to let them know I'm here. And then they met him in Galilee. And he, he bypassed their doubt. He bypassed their, in, their issues and their flaws. Remember how you can be flawed, but you can follow him. He can change you. He looked at them and says, I see your potential, and I'm going to let you know. I, I understand you. Some may doubt. Some have some issues. But I want you to know that I have all authority. What he's trying to point out, don't worry about it. I'm with you. In the same circumstance, many of us can find out that when I am making a disciple, I may not know every Bible verse. I might not know every book in the Bible. I may not know every word in the Bible, but I do know Jesus, and since I do know Jesus, I can introduce you to him, and if I mess it up, I'll enough, no, he can clean it up because he cleaned up my life. He gave me a new life. He changed me around, and these are the ways that we can make disciples. You don't have to have a Bible dictionary in order to share somebody a Christ. Because we sure enough know that being a Christian is not a religious practice, but it's a relationship with him. And so think about when you introduce somebody that you love to somebody, when you introduce somebody to somebody, don't think, think about it. You don't say, hey, you can read the book. You say, let me tell you about my friend. Because that's the personal that you can't find this in the book. I can tell you what he's done for me. And that's what oftentimes we limit ourselves and our disciples today. We tell somebody to read the Bible, but they don't have a relationship. So they don't understand because many of us um, who have read biographies of people, you have to read more than one biography in order to get the full picture. Because one biography might paint it this way, another biography might paint it another way. Then you, get, you can add them together and get full more information to help you fully understand this person. I want you to understand that as we read the Bible, we get to know more about God. But as we live life, we put more of that understanding together. And the more we pull that, inter- that the relationship and our experiences together, we can share that with somebody else. that they can say, you know what, I want to know him too. And that's the influence of having the relationship with him, knowing that he is with us. He can fix it. He can correct us. And that's why he points out to them this authority that he's given them. The authority that he's given them is to make disciples. And what I like about this, Jesus taught them this. He says this, that the teacher is not above the student, but the student should become the teacher. Jesus explained to them that I don't want you to lord it over and be heady, heady like this, but I want you to make sure that you teach others to be like you. Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul also said that while he was in chains, and asked, I pray that everybody be like me, borrow these chains, that we all have a relationship and know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So the authority that the teacher has given them is for them to be teachers and go get disciples. Help me, let me help you understand this perspective. It's this, that he means he gives them permission. He gives them permission to teach his class. Not a lot of people allow anybody to come into their classroom as a professor. If you know a a professor, they don't just let anybody teach their subject matter. Teach their class. They want to make sure you're qualified. They want to know where you train. They want to know where you study. They want to know you know what you're talking about before you get up and talk. That's why oftentimes, very sarcastically, a teacher would talk to a a smart-aleck student in their desk, say, do you want to come up and teach the class? Knowing full well, you could say yes, but I know I can make you a fool because I know more of this subject than you think you know. And Jesus letting us know that I give you permission to teach the class. And the same process that when a a student becomes, a teacher recognizes a student, and they graduate, it says, now you can come back and teach. Jesus says, you have now graduated. Now you need to go out and teach. And look at the command that he gives. And he says, tell them to go make disciples. What I like about this text in verses 19 through 20, when you look at it, it says, go, G-O, Heard one person say that means they get out. And the church needs to get out. The church needs to get out of these four walls. The church needs to get out of these doors. The church needs to get out, staying in their own corner, and go out and make disciples. And, and looking at this, this whole uh, uh, declaration and commission that Christ has given, there's an imperative. The imperative is to make disciples. That's the command that is given to make disciples. Disciples. Then everything else supplements, supports this great command of making disciples. How do you make disciples? You notice one thing is missing their preaching. Preaching is not mentioned in making disciples. Want to know why? Because it's already understood. Proclaim and preaching means to proclaim, to declare, to, to make heard the word, the good news of the Lord. He already told them that I, he, that's how he came. He not he came out, what? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, that he came preaching the good news. So that's already understood to preach the good news to everybody. So that's why he'd have to write that down to preach, cause they're sure so enough gonna preach, they're sure so enough gonna proclaim. Remember, we all come in the name of the King. And so he tells them, first thing he tells them what? Baptize. The first thing he mentions to them is to baptize them. This is this is very inter- interesting because this is now after his resurrection. Before it was John the Baptist having a repentance for forgiveness. Then his disciples were baptizing some as well, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees got upset because he was baptizing more than John the Baptist. But there's a commentary in there that Matthew wrote that it, Jesus did not baptize any. But it was his disciples that were baptizing. But now Jesus has commissioned them in this resurrection form to go and baptize. And we talked about how disciples are in deep. If you look in Romans 6 chapter again, it says that we were baptized in his death. And since we were baptized in his death, we've been unified. We also were unified in his resurrection. Jesus showing them in his resurrected body is letting them know that symbolically their baptism is their outward appearance and their confession of their following me. There's a lot of disciples out there that people can't find them because they haven't been baptized. What I'm trying to say here is that many of them say they're Christians, but they don't show it. Uh, decide. back then we know we, we have four walls so we get baptized but back then they were baptized in open water that means everybody saw what was going on so they could take note oh that's a Christian that's why in some countries they have to baptize in privacy on purpose because of persecution because if they see someone get baptized that's who they're going to try to kill watch out we don't have that issue here when you get baptized somebody's going to come at your house to try to kill you but somewhere else just because you get baptized, they want to get you. But Jesus letting them know, declare my truth and baptize them. And what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I highlight to us? Because there's some people that might tell you that you have not been baptized unless you were baptized in the name of Jesus. They don't know what they're talking about. Let me help you out that you've been baptized when you got baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Or if somebody says, in the name of Jesus, I baptize you. But I want you to understand that the name or the title that, that basically you're being baptized is under the Lord. For he is Lord. He is Lord. When, when everything is said and done, it's not going to be all the other names we said, but we're going to confess and say he is Lord. And when we recognize that He is Lord and you given your life to Him once you've been baptized and submerged under that water, and whoever it was that was declaring it over you, so I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, you have been washed, been clean, and been accepted into the family by your confession, and Christ has shown up going to get in your heart. And so he's telling them that you need to make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he tells them second command of supplementing, of making disciples. Not only do you baptize them, but you have to teach them. Now, I told you, preaching is already understood. Once you proclaim it to them, now you've got to teach what you just said to them. You can't just, just yell it at them, but now you've got to take the time and explain it and say, this is what it means. For an example of that, look in Acts, the second chapter. When the Pentecost moved, the Holy Spirit poured out. Peter so enough got the fire was preaching and then so enough they got baptized. Then he did some teaching. We, too, need to make sure that when we share somebody Christ and we see that they get baptized, that we don't forget to do the teaching. Teaching can be done, yes, in a small group study, in a Bible study group, but also it can be done by how you live your life. That that is a great example of how to be a Christian because they see you living as a Christian so they understand how to be prayerful, how to be patient, how to be kind, how to be loving, how to be forgiving. Because they see you demonstrating that day after day, night after night, living a life pleasing to him because while you are making disciples, then not only are you teaching, you're teaching them what? His commands. You're teaching them how to obey his commands. And, and that's why we talked about again that a healthy heart has their word in their heart. You cannot teach somebody something that's not in your heart. It'd be very hard to teach what thus saith the Lord Well, you don't know what thus saith the Lord. It'd be very hard for you to tell somebody how to forgive one another when you don't know how to forgive because you don't have the word in your heart. It'd be very hard for you to pray for somebody when you don't know how to pray because you haven't been praying yourself. It's hard to, to make a disciple of Christ, and can I say a good disciple of Christ, when you're not a good disciple. We duplicate what we are. That, that's why it's, it's, it's always frustrating for parents. It's frustrating for parents to raise up their children and watch the children make mistakes, but realize the children are only making many times the mistakes that the parents have made. And why is that frustrating? Because we see so much of ourselves in them, it gets us mad. The stuff that we hate most is what's in our child. we like, man, I don't want that in my child because I know the problem that it caused me. How much more so when we think we're going to make a disciple that we're teaching people our bad habits. And then when they fall into sin and when they fall into trouble and they backslide, we want to blame them but realize we were a bad teacher. So that's why we have to have his word. where hidden in our heart that we might not sin again. That's why we have to stay in tune in his word and know his commands, proclaim his commands, live his commands, and share his commands so that when it comes time to teach his commands, people can ask us about his commands and we can share, here's how it's been applied in my life. Because there's a lot of things out there that we have no clue that we can't tell somebody about unless we know it about. How, how do you know love if you have not showed love? How do you understand forgiveness when you, haven't, when you haven't shown forgiveness? But when you know it, you show it. And when you show it, God can use it. And look how it says, is, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them. And he says, look, I will be with you. This is the joy of it all. Remember, I said that even if we go out and we're not sure we know it all. God says I can fix it all because he's with us. And, And look at the process that there's not a disciple made without Christ and nor can a disciple made without Christ. That Christ is always in the picture. He's with the disciple making the disciple and he's with the one becoming a disciple. Christ will be involved. And so many times we might look around and and think about definitely in this modern age of church that people want to have mega churches and big churches, but yet the church will not grow if Christ is not involved. You can do programs, you can do issues, you can do concerts, you can do all kinds of things that draw people in. That's just a crowd, but we don't want a crowd. We want disciples. We can pass out free stuff, we can give away free stuff, we can do all that kind of stuff. But yet if Christ is not involved, there's nothing that's going to sustain the relationship and keep them involved in Christ. That's why in making disciples, it has to be a personal relationship. Because you can't baptize by a group, but you baptize one by one. It's one person going down at a time. So one by one, we got to make sure that we are baptizing them and we are teaching them one by one. Each one need to grab one and teach one. And watch how we start having multiplication in this process. Because we are actively involved making disciples and showing them how to serve and work within the church. Because just because you sit in a pew does not make you a disciple. That makes you a pew sitter. And, and, and you can fill up the pews, but yet we need to fill up the streets. We need to go out and tell somebody that there's someone who loves you and cares about you, teaching them the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to make disciples. And so in this process of making disciples, the encouragement that I have is that he says he will be with us always. And what I want to encourage is that to know that he will be with us always. He shared this with his disciples that I will not leave you comfortless, but I'll give you power from on high. And this power we know in many words as the advocate, the paraclete, the comforter, and definitely the Holy Spirit. And this great power of the Holy Spirit, he taught his disciples that he would teach you of all things. And he will, he will, the Holy Spirit, he will bring forth conviction. He will bring forth repentance. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit is going to do the work. What I'm trying to point out to you, all you got to do is just be a vessel and let the Holy Spirit do the work. You want to see transformation happening in your house, you want to see transformation happening in your job, be a vessel of the Holy Spirit and allow him to use you. Because the Lord says, Lord, I will be with you in always." There's not a time that you can be in a circumstance and realize that, hey, my friends may have left me, but I I, I got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I have those who let me down, even the Psalm, right? even if my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. What I'm trying to encourage you is, is that no matter where you go, no matter what you're going through, there's no place that's out of the reach of God that he's able to be there with you. And look this, he can encourage you, he can strengthen you. That's why the Isaiah the writer wrote, they there, wait. Upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's why the psalm writer wrote, surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me all the days of my life. Why is that? Because the shepherd is with me. Do you understand that? If God is with you, who can be against you? He wants you to go out and declare and proclaim his truth. Yes, there's going to be opposition. Yes, people are going to come against you. But they can't stop you because you're with him. Because you understand, they thought they stopped him, right? They thought they stopped him when they got him in front of Caesar. They thought they stopped him when they finally got him into his death centers and nailed him on a cross. They think they finally stopped him when they put guards in front of his tomb. They think they finally stopped him when they rolled a rock in front of his tomb. But you understand, an earthquake happened, the guards fell down, The rock rolled away, and showed up early that Sunday morning. He got up with all power in his hands. And then he came back and told us, "I, I got all authority, I got all power on earth and in heaven. And look, they can't stop us. Go and make disciples. So that's our challenge, that's our charge, that we go and make disciples. No, they can't stop us, because our Lord is victorious, and we are on the winning side. And you know when you're on the winning side, <laughs> victory is yours. And that's why we can say that victory shall be mine, because victory is our, because death has been defeated. Sin has no victory in within us, and we can go and declare somebody else that who the Son sets free is free indeed, and we can to let them know that you can have eternal life. And you can know that he will be with you through the good times, through the bad times. The Lord will be with us. And that's a good thing to know. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Lord, we come right now with God.